Amen. Come on, let's give him a praise here this morning. Amen. He is worthy. He is worthy. You may be seated this morning. God bless you. Thank you for being here on just a beautiful fall Sunday morning. Everybody that's in person, always so just blessed and grateful to have you with us. Uh, Everybody that's online with us, which are many, we are so grateful for our online community, not only here in Oklahoma, but throughout the United States as that presence continues to grow with many of you sharing it with your family and friends. And so it's great to have everybody that's with us in church today. We just continue to pray over you. We continue to pray through this pandemic that it's going to end, that someday we will all be gathered here in the house of God together. The church will be packed. We'll have to bring seats out. There won't be enough because we'll be so excited to be able to come in here and be together. But until then, we carry on as we are. Of course, our online presence will continue on from now on, but we're just so thankful for Jesus Christ and for what he's doing in our church. I believe God is stirring us, church. God is stirring us. He's been speaking to us through his word, through his worship, through the prayers. It's all lining up. I just believe there is revival coming for Kawita Assembly of God. I believe that. And so I pray that every single one of you just allow God to continue to speak to your heart, to the depths of your soul, and allow him to really, really just continue to build you, to mold you, to shape you, to stir you, to waken you to where he would have us be uh, during this hour. Today, I'm going to start a brand new series, going to lay the foundation for it, and it's titled Think Bigger, Think Better, and Think Blessed. How many are already on board with me on that, all right? Amen. Think bigger, think better, and think blessed. We know that that which your mind dwells upon is most likely the direction in which your next steps are going to take you. Now, let's have a little fun here just for a moment, and let's think about a few things here. This is just kind of on a small level, but, you know, if you're thinking about food, more than likely, you're probably going to be headed to get something to eat, right? So during the day, your stomach's growling, you're thinking about that favorite taco place or wherever it's at, your favorite hamburger, you're thinking, man, I'm, I'm ready to eat, and you're probably headed that way. If you're thinking about a new vehicle, and I'm not talking about just after a commercial, but you thought about it on Monday... Then you thought about it again on Tuesday. Then you saw, you know, maybe one of your friends had a new vehicle in the parking lot on Wednesday. And you thought, well, that's pretty sharp. And the next thing you know, you're searching online. You're noticing the cars driving down the highway. You're starting to check out prices. Well, you're probably headed to the dealership soon to either trade in and get you a new vehicle. If you're thinking about moving, you know, you start going to those sites like Zillow and those real estate sites, and you start to look at homes, and you start to drive around, you start to price them and look at the square footage, you start looking at your home and things you know that perhaps, you know, you're saying, well, you know, I think I'm ready for a change. Well, you're probably getting ready to to purchase a new home. Or even vacation. I know many of our church family, you love to travel, you love to get out in the great outdoors. So you may be thinking about going up to the mountains or maybe going out to the beach or even to the lake to go fishing just to get out and spend some time. You start to think about those things. The next thing you know, you're probably booking your next vacation or you're probably getting the boat ready or the camper ready and you're getting ready to take you a little trip. Uh, If your mind is on politics throughout the day, Lord help you. Lord bless you. Lord bless you. Now, if your mind is on politics throughout the day, you're probably getting ready to tune into your favorite, you know, talk show or to your favorite news station, and you're going to get fed some more, some more politics for you. That's probably where you're headed. Those are just some simpler thoughts that drive our daily steps. But let's look at it a little bit long term. And, and I really don't want to present anything negative. But let me kind of give you the flip side just for a moment of maybe having our mind in a difficult place. 
for the long term. You know, if you're dwelling upon maybe your home just always being disruptive. Maybe you're looking at your marriage and you're thinking, boy, this just really hasn't worked out. And you start to consider what it would be like, perhaps, if you were with someone else. Well, unfortunately, if that's where your mind stays, you're probably headed for an affair. If you're dwelling upon, you know, immoral thoughts or behaviors, places you know your mind shouldn't go, places you know that you shouldn't go, but yet your mind just kind of stays there, well, you're headed for discouragement, deception, and most likely, if you stay there, you're headed for a dangerous downfall. If you dwell upon what's wrong with everything in the world or what's wrong with everybody, you know, your neighbors, the people around you, and you're always dwelling upon those type of things, well, you're probably going to walk in a constant state of negativity and complaining because that's where your mind's at. Well, let's flip it here just for a moment. Let's get back on the positive side. If you think about the good things of life, the things that make you happy, well, then you're probably looking forward to making the most of every opportunity. I know, again, for me, love to be outdoors, love to be on the front porch, the back porch, love to be with my family. My family surprised us yesterday, called us early in the morning and said, hey, you know, we're going to come over and let's cook breakfast. Let's cook some pancakes. Boy, I threw my protein bar back in the refrigerator and I said, all right, let's have some pancakes. As the longest breakfast ever because they left about 10 o'clock last night. So anyway, it was a... We had an awesome, awesome day. Sat under the tree, had the grandbabies. It, it, was, it was really a great day because they washed their vehicles and their trucks, and I just sat under the shade tree with the babies the whole time. And said, yeah, you can use our vacuum cleaner. You can use our stuff. So, but we just enjoyed spending time watching the games. Just a really good day. You think about the things that make you happy, and, you know, that's, that's a good thing because you're going to want to make the most of every one of those opportunities. And I know you understand where I'm headed. Okay, let's go to the spiritual side of things. If your thoughts are upon who God is, what God has accomplished, what he is doing in and through your life, his promises, and upon his ability to do more than you ever thought possible, if that's where your mind is, your next steps are leading you on a journey that is going to bring the best out of you. It's going to develop a strong and healthy wholeness to your entire being as you walk in the abundance of his blessings. We know that to be true. But again, on the flip side, if you are focused on the evil that surrounds us, the deception that we are in, the deception of Satan and the chaos in which he flourishes in, if that's where your mind is at, then I believe you can certainly lose your footing, your direction, your vision, your purpose, and eventually you're going to lose that blessing that God intended you to be walking in because you've walked away from that. Now, church, when I read the scripture. Nowhere do I find in Scripture that you and I are supposed to dwell on the evil and the darkness and the chaos of this world. I've not found one yet that says, put your mind on the things of Satan. Put your mind on things that are dark. Put your mind on things that are negative. Put your mind on a complaining state. Put your mind in a place that's dark, that's destructive, that's despairing, that's discouraging. There's not one place in Scripture that I've found, and I'm very confident to say to you this morning, if you're looking for one, you're not going to find it because it's just not there. Because Scripture is going to tell us just the opposite because Scripture wants us to have a whole, a sincere, a genuine, a healthy mind. You go to the writings of Peter as he writes to the church. 
He is talking about the return of Jesus Christ. And Jimmy did such a powerful job last week talking about the blessed hope because Jesus Christ is returning for his church someday. I believe that with all of my heart. Peter is talking about Christian character. He's talking about walking in the last days. He's talking about how are we to hold ourselves and handle ourselves. He says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 1, this is my second letter to you, dear friends. And in both of them, I've tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and to refresh your memory. I want you to remember what the holy prophets said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles. He's speaking to them. He says, I want to stimulate that memory. I want to stimulate your minds. I want your minds to be in a whole and a healthy place. That word wholesome there, it simply means pure and sincere. So the scripture is telling us that our minds are to be in a healthy state. And I believe that's the theme throughout scripture. One of my favorite verses in Isaiah is Isaiah chapter 26, verse number 3. Reading from the Amplified Version, it says this. You will guard him and keep him in perfect and constant peace, whose mind, both its inclination and its character, is stayed upon you because he commits himself to you, leans on you, and hopes confidently in you. Right there we see God desires that our minds are whole and pure and sincere and that they're fixed on him because that's how you and I will stay at peace within. Even in the midst of difficult circumstances, we can be at peace because our minds are upon Jesus Christ. Our minds are to be in a healthy place. Jesus says in his own words, Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, in a conversation, he says, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Paul says in Romans to the church, chapter 8, verse 5, those who are dominated by the sinful nature, they think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, they think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind, that's going to lead to a death, to a spiritual death. That's going to lead to darkness, to deception, to chaos. You're going to be all over the place. So if that's where, you're, if that's where your mind is going, that's where you will be. But letting the Spirit control your mind, that leads again, look at these words, to life and to peace. Amen. And really what that's talking about is that peace within. Because it, when you're at peace with yourself, you realize that's going to help you with everything in life. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. We have been there multiple times over the last several weeks. But verse 2 says, Do not copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Let your thoughts be transformed each and every day by the power of God. Again, Romans chapter 13, verse 14. Clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not let yourself think about ways to indulge your sinful desires. Here's that flip side. Stay away from that side and put your mind on the things of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. I love the power in the scripture. Reading from the Amplified, it says, Inasmuch as we refute arguments and theories and reasonings and every proud and lofty thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God, and we lead every thought and purpose away captive into the obedience of Christ, the Messiah, the anointing one. So we take control over our thoughts and our minds through the power of Jesus Christ. We put them where they need to be. God gives us the ability to do that. Philippians, Paul writes to the church, chapter 4, verse 8. Many of you know this one well. Fix your thoughts on what is true. Those things during the day that are honorable, those things that are right, 
righteous, pure and holy, set apart, lovely, admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 1. Since you've been raised to a new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven and not things of this earth. All of this is talking about our life in Christ, being a new creation, those things that he's placed inside of us. One more, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. He has given us a spirit of power and love and a calm and a well-balanced mind and discipline and self-control. Church, a spiritually healthy mind will nurture your entire being. And no matter where you go into Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, you are going to find this constant theme. You are to have a healthy and a whole mind. And you can do that in Christ. You got to start right there. Now that's pretty foundational. Because if your mind is anywhere else, and you're trying to walk in the blessings of God, if you're trying to see things bigger and better and in his blessing, if your mind is not where God would have it be, you're just spinning your wheels. You're not going anywhere, and you're not going anywhere in a hurry. Nothing is changing, nothing is moving, nothing is happening because your mind is not healthy. Can I tell you, Christ wants you to have a healthy state of being that begins with your mind. It is so highly important. Now, in our high-tension and toxic culture today, it's most important that we choose to put our minds on Christ. As with the title of our series again, I believe it's time as God stirs us, as God awakens us, as he begins to have these winds of revival begin to blow upon our lives, I believe it's time for us as his people to think bigger, to think better, and think about the abundance of his blessings that he wants us to walk in. You see, church, I know this to be true. Our God is bigger. You hear me say this often. He is so much bigger than any problem in our life. Any circumstance, any pandemic, any political divide, any lie, any deception, anything that tries to stand before us, God is bigger than all of it. Maybe you feel like you're home, it's just the walls are closing in. God is bigger than what's happening. Maybe you feel like in your relationships, it's one argument after another. God is bigger than those arguments. Maybe you feel like your finances are just going nowhere, and even though you're trying to make the right decisions and do the right thing, it just seems like, again, you're spinning your wheels in that area. Can I tell you, God is bigger than all of your cash. He's bigger than all of your bills. He's bigger than all of your mistakes. He's bigger than all of the failures that you've had in life. He's bigger than anything that tries to set itself up to tell you that you can't walk in a better way and in his blessings. God is bigger than all of that. Our God and our relationship with him is better than any other person or thing that we would try to build our life upon. If we are not building our life upon Jesus Christ, we're missing the mark big time because that's the best way to build your life. Our God blesses us in measure of abundance, in measure, Scripture will tell us, even beyond our comprehension. That's where you want to be, right? In the blessings of God so he can be glorified, not so you can take all this and have it for yourself, but you can walk in his blessings and that his name can be glorified. I know that life can be hard, especially, again, I know we referred to it in this season multiple times over, but it's just the season we're in. A lot of challenges, a lot of difficulty for parents. 
Are you going to be in school, out of school, online, not online? What's going to happen? What's the schedule? I mean, things are constantly changing around you. You're having to adapt. You're having to figure it out. You're having to figure out how to go to work, when to stay home, who's going to watch the kids. It's a little bit all over the place. And can I tell you, I know that's a tough place to be in because it seems like you're trying to stay focused, but every time you get focused, you're getting pulled in another direction. Your jobs, I know for our many school teachers, being married to an educator, I know that it's constantly shifting and changing in the time in which we live, trying to make everything happen and everything right. It can be very chaotic right now, and the, and the more you try to get focused, boy, it seems like just something else is pulling at you. Can I tell you, God will help us in these times. It may be hard, it may be challenging, but that doesn't mean we ever, ever begin to think small, think weak, and think, well, we're just going to be oppressed. God's people should never think small and should never think, well, I'm just going to be oppressed. This is how it is. This is just the cards have been dealt us. So I'll just give it my best. And Jesus, come on back quickly because I don't want to stay here very long. And we just kind of stay there. That's not what we're meant to be. But what we need to be doing right now is let God to stir us because we need to put our minds upon God, what he's capable of doing in and through our lives. We know what he can do. We know what he has already done. If I gave you the opportunity and said, all right, we're going to have a testimony service. Everybody's going to testify. Everybody's going to be able to say something good that God has done in your life. Most of you are going to say, he's pulled me out of darkness. He's pulled me out of sin. He's pulled me out of bondage, and I have been set free in the name of Jesus. Some of you would stand up and say, man, I was addicted. I was into alcohol. I was into drugs. I was into pornography. My mind was all over the place, and God has set me free in the name of Jesus Christ. Some of you would stand up and shout, you know what? I didn't know where I was going, but God has given me some secure footing, and he has blessed me, and he's held me together, and I thank God that I'm even here today to be able to worship him. You would give praise after praise after praise of the goodness of God that's at work in your life. I believe that. It sounds kind of fun. We ought to do that, right? You're like, Pastor, come on, keep going. Don't open the mic just yet. But you would testify to the goodness of God because you know what he's capable of doing in our, through our lives. And that's where our mind needs to be. Just for a few brief moments, I'm going to attempt to take a really huge story and a really tremendous journey, put it down in just a few minutes of where I'm headed with this series. I want to take you back to Egypt, and I want to take you back to when Israel was in Egypt and when they were held captive. Now, many of you would know this story, and for those of you that don't, hey, that's okay. Go to Genesis. Go to Exodus. Do not negate the Old Testament. Go there because there are so many life lessons in there. So we know, if we go all the way back to Joseph, you remember, I think it's almost been a couple years when we did from survival to significance, we talked about the story of Joseph. Joseph's incredible story. He becomes second in man, second in command under Pharaoh. He saves his dad. He, he's restored to his family. And they have, and he brings them all there in, in, under Egypt. So he, he feeds them and nurses them and takes care of them and all of his family. What happens here is Israel as a nation begins to increase are blessed during this time. Over the next 200 plus years, what would happen is that God would bless his people and Israel would multiply significantly. Now, what we're going to see here in scripture is that those years pass, a new king, a new Pharaoh, he comes in command and he doesn't know the story of Joseph. I don't know what happened to his historians, but they didn't do their job because the scripture says he did not know who Joseph was. How could you not know who second in command was and where those blessings came from? Obviously, his mind wasn't in the right place. 
But look at what Scripture tells us. I'm going to take some few places here through Exodus. Exodus chapter 1, verse number 6. In time, Joseph and all of his brothers died, ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, they had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and they began to fill the land. You think God's up to something? God's got a plan, right? At the very beginning, God had a plan. Verse 8. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. So he said to his people, look, the people of Israel, they now outnumber us and they are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and they will fight against us. Then they will escape from our country. I find it interesting that the enemy knew more about the people than the people themselves because they didn't see the potential within them. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Python and Ramesses as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, catch this, the more that God's people were oppressed, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. Scripture says they made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all of their demands. Now, when you read this, can you not see that, that God is up to something? Now, the people didn't even realize that they were multiplying and they were growing stronger and they were becoming powerful. And probably at any moment, they could have turned against the Egyptians and they could have been set free, but that was not God's plan. But also, they didn't even realize what God was doing. They couldn't see the potential within them, yet God was up to something huge in their lives. He was up to something much bigger than they can imagine, much better than where they were at. And he was gonna send them to a place of abundant blessing but they didn't even see it. But under that oppression, under that oppression, God was still moving and he was stirring and he was working amongst his people. Well, as you continue to read the story, the oppression continues. And then Pharaoh, he comes up with the idea and he tells the midwives, the Egyptian midwives, he says, okay, when the Hebrew women give birth, go ahead, if it's a girl, let the girl live. It's a boy, go ahead and kill the baby. But the scripture will tell us that even the Egyptian midwives, they saw something. Because and they even said, hey, their babies, are, they give birth so quickly and their babies are so strong, but they were allowing the babies to live, boys and girls, because they feared the Lord. God was up to something. Well, that infuriated Pharaoh. So he gave the order. He said, okay, you take the baby boys and you go throw them in the Nile. You go throw them in the river. So when you read that story, you see that tragedy taking place. But then we know that's where Moses That's where Moses is saved. And most of you know the story. He's found by Pharaoh's daughter. He's taken into Pharaoh's court. And that's where he is raised as a child. Now, as he begins to grow older, as you journey through those chapters, what you're going to find is Moses has his stirring inside of him, understands, okay, there's something different about me. He's discovering that identity that he is a Hebrew, that he is not Pharaoh's biological son, that he is a Hebrew. 
And so while he's out one day and he's amongst all the people working, he sees one of these slave drivers and they're oppressing the people and not thinking anybody's looking. He's stirred just within and he ends up killing this slave driver. And he gets rid of him thinking everything's okay, but it was found out. So he has to flee for his life now. So he flees out into the wilderness. Now, I'm not going to take you to his story, but what we'll find in this journey is that while he's out in the wilderness finding his family, finding his identity, God is preparing him to be that great leader. What was it? A couple weeks ago, we talked about him being at that Bernie Bush where that call of God was placed upon his life. And so all of this is happening. God is doing this incredible work in Moses' life. In the meantime, even though the people of Israel continue to increase, what you will find as you read in these chapters and read this journey, the Israelites, they remained subjects of captivity. They were constantly being beat down. They were being deceived into not knowing their own potential. They were living in despair. They were living in fear, and they were living in hopelessness. That's where they were at. And hundreds of years have passed by. Over 400 years will pass by, and that's how they will live generation after generation. But as the scripture tells us, they begin to cry out to God. Now, as I see this, because years and years and years pass by, I kind of, this is personal, I kind of get the idea that their cry to God was more of a wishful plea than it was out of the desperation of their heart. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever had that moment in life where things are just not really doing well? And you thought maybe you were desperate, but when you look back on it, it was more like a wishful plea, like, hey, God, get me out of this. But when things did not change and the oppression continued, what happens is, is they got genuine. Their minds and their heart got in the right place. And they cried out to God. Exodus chapter 2 verse 23 says, Years passed, the king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry, it now rose up to God. God heard their groaning. He remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel, and I love this, and he knew. He knew because he knew all along. Now it is time to act. Now you may read that and say, well, did God finally wake up? No, it wasn't the fact that God finally woke up. The children of Israel finally woke up, cried out in desperation, and God said, okay, now they're ready for me to do something among them. Church, are you catching this? God is not asleep right now. God knows what's going on. He's not caught off guard with what happened in our world, but he is waiting for the church to position themselves in a way where his glory can be revealed because they are being stirred and awakened and there's a revival that's taking place inside of their lives. So much that we can see in this story. Moses, back to him, he finds his identity his, and he begins to pursue his call and now he leads the people out of Egypt. Now, God did not do this in a quiet manner. You can read in the Bible you're going to see plague after plague, significant plague, lives lost, miracles being accomplished through the power and the might of God. Then there was that final one where there was the Passover to protect the firstborn of Israel while the firstborn of Egypt, they passed. The health of the people, the health of their mind, God was stirring them, God was healing them, God was working in them as he was getting to prepare them to for that journey to that promised home. He's even, not only their health are they strong when you read in scripture, but they also left Egypt. They didn't leave as slaves. They left with abundance. If you go to Exodus chapter 12, verse 36, it says the Lord caused the Egyptians to look favorably on the Israelites and they gave the Israelites whatever they asked for so they stripped the Egyptians of their wealth. 
So when you picture in your mind Israel leaving Egypt, don't think of a weak, beaten down people. But you think of a strong and a healthy people who has the wealth of Egypt upon them and with their sons and their daughters and grandma and grandpa and their friends and even some of the Egyptians that feared the Lord went with him. And when they left, they left out strong. How do we know that? Exodus chapter 13 verse 18 says, the Israelites left Egypt like an army that was ready for battle. That puts a pretty strong picture in your mind, right? Now, if we were to stop right there, we would think, man, this is going to be an incredible journey. Step after step, victory and freedom and power and might and joy and peace. We're headed to the promised land. We're going to set up not just camp. We're going to set up home. We're going to build homes. We're going to build churches. We're going to build schools. We're going to have a community. There we will worship the Lord and serve him for all the incredible things that he's doing in and through our lives. You're thinking, man, this is a powerful, powerful journey. Let's keep going. But most of you in here know the story with me because we've had the opportunity over our life to look at this story multiple times. It didn't quite happen that way because at the first sign of hardship and difficulty, they were struck with fear and anxiety because as they went the long route through the wilderness, that's the journey that the Lord took them on. He knew what he was doing. They come to the Red Sea and then Pharaoh says, hey, we've made a mistake. Get my army, get my chariots, get our horses. Let's get ready for battle, and let's go take back what is ours. And so they felt that they would go and overtake the Israelites. So as they approach them from the rear, and as the Red Sea is in front of them, you would think, well, God's brought us this far. All the plagues. That last one was pretty incredible, amazing. Man, we've got a cloud leading us. We've got fire protecting us. This is the hand of God that's all upon us. You would think to themselves, come on, God, what are you going to do next? But look at what Scripture says. 14, Exodus 14. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up. They panicked when they saw the Egyptians coming. They cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Why did you bring us out here to die in this old wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? Moses, what have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you what would happen while we were still in Egypt? Boy, everybody becomes an expert in the face of tragedy. We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt to be a corpse in the wilderness. Someone probably thought, that's pretty clever, wasn't it? God's just shaking his head. They complained. But yet, God in his mercy, God in his grace, God going to fulfill his promise. You know what happens. You know the story next. You've either seen the movie or you've read the book. You know what happens. Water on both sides. There is dry land in the middle. Israel walks across. They get to the other side. Pharaoh follows pursuit. The army is drowned. And God's hand moves in a mighty way. And they break out in song and celebration because all is good. Pastor Matt, go get the pizza because we're going to have a party tonight right? They're feeling good. Time goes on. They get hungry. It's a long journey. So they're running out of provisions. And so they're running out of provisions that God gave them in Egypt. He's provided for them this entire time. How many of you know that it may get low sometimes, but God will never, ever run out of provisions. They run out of provisions. They get hungry. Exodus 16.3 says, if only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned again. 
So they sat around, pots filled with, because uh, uh, back there they had pots filled with meat and ate all the bread that they wanted. But now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. Oh, sure, that's what God was doing. Who was the clever one that came up with that idea? He's done all of this just so we could starve to death out here in the wilderness. But they complained and they moaned and they groaned and they said, this is where we're going to be. And then the story goes on. God feeds them. He gives them all that they could get from heaven, all the manna, all the meat, all the bread that they could possibly have. They got tired of eating that. They had so much. They just weren't creative enough to make some different meals. Too bad they didn't have Pinterest back then. But anyway, they just groaned and groaned, you know, again, even after that. Then they got thirsty. Exodus 17. So once more, the people complained against Moses. Give us some water to drink. Quiet, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me? Why are you testing the Lord? But they were tormented by thirst. So they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out to Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children, and our livestock with thirst? I got to tell you, hats off to Moses. Because at some time, I would have turned around and said, yes, the entire plan was for all of you to die today. But he didn't, and thank God, you know, that's not what he said. He had way more patience. And God, I know I'm having a little fun there. But God, this entire time, patient, merciful, graceful, loving, probably annoyed, but very merciful and graceful about what he's doing with his people. They get water. Now, of course, in that moment, that's when Moses disobeyed the Lord and that's why if you read the story he didn't get to go into promised land because he didn't do it the way that God had asked him to do it but they got their drink of water Exodus chapter 32 just a little bit more here Moses is now going up on the mountain and if you read in scripture when he went up on the mountain you get this picture in scripture of the clouds coming around the mountain and earthquakes and the mountain trembling itself because the presence of God had landed on that mountain. So when Moses went up there, the people knew it. They could see that. They couldn't see God himself, but they saw his presence and the majestic power of his presence. So Moses would go up there and he would talk with God and he would come down. But this time he goes up and he stays for a long time. Now you would think in your minds, and I'm not going to get on them because we do the same thing today. They became impatient. They became impatient always a long time in coming down and it says when the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain they gathered around Aaron and they said what has happened to this man make us some gods who can lead us make us some gods think about that with your own hands and, and find some wood and, and find some, some rocks. Or Matter of fact, let's get all the gold and let's we'll make an image of a golden calf. Let's get all of our stuff and let's make us our own God. And that God that we made with our own hands and watched it happen, that'll be the God that'll lead us. How low we will go when our mind is in the wrong place. And so that's what they did. Chapter 32, verse 6. The people got up early the next morning with their minds not on God. They had their burnt offerings, their peace offerings. They celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. They had a very vulgar party amongst this golden idol. We shake our heads and we say, what? How could it be? But we can't get on them too much because we will fall in the same place if we're not careful, and perhaps we have. Because of their rebellion... 
They, they no longer had their mind on God and the promise and the purpose. They had no vision. They'd lost it all and all that God had done in their lives. So they rebuilt. And because of that, if you'll read the story, thousands who started the journey never finished. So I'm bringing this home for you. With all God was doing in the very midst of them, I asked the question, why could they not keep their minds on him? The promise of an expansive territory that they were going to build upon a better home and blessings beyond measure. We're not talking 100 plus years passing here. We're talking about 40 years that they were in the wilderness in the desert. So they know, they've seen it. Why couldn't they put their minds there? You see, God had revealed to them something much bigger and something much better and something that was so much more blessed, more than they could ever imagine. But instead of walking in that, the first sign of hardship, the first sign of trouble and difficulty, they didn't see the blessing anymore. They lost their spiritual train of thought. So think with me. Instead of walking in victory and walking in freedom, walking in strength, transformation, and promise, they were still walking as though they were bound and oppressed. Now, church, follow me. When God set them free from Egypt, the very first step, they were free. And the plan was for all of them to go to the promised land. When they were set free, they were set free. When God said, I promise, he promised and he meant it. And if they had kept his minds on them, they could have walked in freedom with every single step. But the further they walked, the tighter they got, the more exhausted they were, the more things that began to happen around them. Instead of focusing on the power of God, literally they had a cloud and a fire that they could look at. But instead of focusing on the power and the might and the majestic being of God, they still walked as though they were bound. So to you today, pastor, where are you going and why are you so wired about this? How many today have been given an opportunity through Christ Jesus to live better, bigger, to live better, and to live blessed, but yet you're still walking around as though you are bound? Too many Christians walking around as though they're still bound. Can I tell you, when you accepted Jesus Christ into your life, the scripture says you are free and you are free indeed. So nothing should hold you back. There shouldn't be any addiction, any darkness, any oppression, any tactic of the enemy. When we talk about set, being set apart, you have been set apart in Christ Jesus. Why in the world as Christians would we still want to walk as though we're bound? We go home and our relationships are still bound. Our marriages are still bound. The atmosphere of our home is still bound. Our finances are still bound. Our attitude is still bound. We take on the attitude as, as the, uh, the Israelites where we just complain and complain because our mind's in the wrong place. Why are we still bound when we have been given the greatest gift of all and that is a life in Christ? Are you following me? You're following me. Some of you are like, he is in my back yard because I've been there let's pull up to the kitchen table and let's finish it let's believe together that God can do an incredible work in our lives because church I want to tell you in the time and hour in which we live we are not designed to be bound as God's people in any way you want to describe what that being in bondage looks like that's personal that's up to you 
but that's not who we are. We are a people intended to live an abundant life in Christ. We have been called to to be saved, to be set apart, to be restored, to be transformed, to be healed, and to be the light in a dark world. I wrote here in my notes, no one today should settle for being bound in any way in their lives. No one No marriage. Nobody should leave this place saying, well, I'm going back into bondage. You decide today that your marriage has been set free in the name of Jesus Christ, that God's going to transform you, change you, bless you. There's bigger plans for you. God does not want to keep you in this small little box. God wants to put you out in this wide open place where he can bless you in your life and everything about you as you give him glory. You are called to be a light in a dark world. No one, no one should settle for darkness settle for anything less. So I would tell you today as we lay out this foundation, where do we start? We start with our mind. God wants us to have a whole and a healthy, a sincere and a genuine mind. And when you can get to that place, you will begin to understand what it means to say in Christ, things are just bigger and better and so much more blessed when I'm walking with Christ. Can I tell you again, God is bigger than any opposition. God is better than any false idea or deceiving hope. And God's blessing far outweighs any temporary pleasure or trial of life. I ask you today, is your mind in a healthy place? Because if not, and you're ready to come to realization, Jesus wants to renew your mind. Amen? Church, that was deep in my soul because I know what it is to have your mind in an unhealthy place and I know the freedom that you have when you've got it with Jesus it changes you it changes you it transforms you it does such an incredible work in you and I pray that's I can give you story after story I can't because of time my own life, my own marriage, my own family, my own hardships, my own hang-ups. I can give you all of that, and I can tell you it all came back to one central truth. Get your mind on the things of God. And when you put your mind there, your next steps are leading you in a very good direction. But as you walk, keep your mind focused. Father, I thank you. I thank you, Father, for everyone here in the sanctuary and for everyone watching online. I know that this word is going deep into their soul. I pray that this word is going to be watered and it's going to grow. And God, as it does, you're just going to continue to reveal things. You're revealing some things right now to individuals, to some husbands and some wives some mamas and daddies. You're revealing some things to our sons and our daughters. You're revealing things to every individual, every man and every woman here. And I thank you, God. I feel it in my spirit. I know that you're speaking. So, Father, I'm just going to pray and I want to step out of the way because I know that, Father, Lord, that you want to do a renewing work in so many hearts and minds today. So I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, as we receive this word, as we go into prayer, as we meditate upon the things that have been spoken over us, in the name of Jesus, may you move upon every individual. And I pray for healthy and whole minds. 
I pray that, Father Lord, our thoughts truly are fixed on your ways, on your goodness, on, on everything about your character. I pray blessing over each and every one that, Father Lord, as they continue to move forward in life, no matter where they are at, we're all in this, certainly in this season together, but I pray for every single one that in Christ they will see things, God, as you would have them see them. So they'll begin to think bigger and just better and just the abundance of who you are and how you will work in and through them. Father Lord, I pray over everyone. Do just an incredible work. And to you, we give all praise, all glory. In Jesus' name.